Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and thank you for joining us again. We're going to be talking today, or focusing on rather, two different big bands from about, oh, 1935, thereabouts. And uh, these were bands that um, were active in Harlem at the time. The first one in 1935 comes from some transcription recordings that were made, and the second one uh, in 1936, also for some transcriptions. And what transcriptions were, were studio recordings that were made specifically for radio stations, and there were several different companies that made them, Associated and World and things like that. Um, I'm not sure which transcription company actually did each of these, but uh, there were several active, and what they did is they would bring bands, usually pretty well-known bands, into the studio and record them playing some of their hits, uh, things that they were known for, and uh, often they would use pseudonyms uh, for the band, so it would cover up their identity, supposedly, even though they certainly sounded like themselves, and these recordings would be marketed to radio stations for uh, incidental music, uh, music behind uh, other activities going on at the radio station, uh, filler material in case they had some uh, dead time when programs didn't work or something like that. And uh, this has become a treasure trove over the years for great jazz performances of the 1930s and 40s. So the first band that we're going to hear presented to us on these transcriptions was the Claude Hopkins Orchestra. Now, Claude Hopkins was a piano player. He was born 1903 in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, started playing stride piano. Um, under the sway of James P. Johnson and Duke Ellington, who was a, a homeboy in the D.C. area, slightly older than Hopkins was, and uh, learned how to play that style of piano and uh, learned all about popular music. By the 1920s, he was touring in some pretty well-known bands. He was a, a fairly well-educated musician. He could write music and arrange and direct shows, and in fact, he went to Europe in 1925 with the Revue Negre that featured Josephine Baker, and he was the music director for that. And he was there for about two years before he came back to New York and uh, started his own bands in New Jersey and New York in about 1927-28 or so. By 1932, he had a band that uh, was a big band size at the time, three trumpets and one or two trombones, three or four saxes and a rhythm section, uh, but it sounded very different from most African-American bands at the time. You know, you think of bands from 1932 like Fletcher Henderson or Ellington or whatever, uh, Cab Calloway certainly, they tended to be very brash, loud, forceful, fiery bands, and Claude Hopkins wanted to... Uh, go on the other side of the street. He wanted to have a quiet but swinging band. His brass often played muted. Uh, they played very low dynamics, and uh, they uh, became very popular with the dancers, largely because they had a superior rhythm section, which we'll talk about in a minute. When they went into the Roseland uh, Ballroom, actually they first went into the Savoy Ballroom in about 1932. They followed uh, bands like Chick Webb and uh, um, Fess Williams Band, and they provided quite a contrast with their softer sounds, and they were very popular at the time. They moved to uh, the uh, Roseland Ballroom shortly thereafter, about 1932-33, uh, replacing Fletcher Henderson's band, who moved over to Connie's Inn. The bands kept moving around at the time. And they stayed at the Roseland for several years before going to the famous Cotton Club uh, in Harlem in 1934, late 34, early 1935. Jimmy Lunsford had been playing there, and of course Duke Ellington was well known for playing at the Cotton Club in the earlier years. And uh, it was at this time, towards the end of their Cotton Club run in the fall of 1935, that these transcriptions were made. 
So who was in this band? So we have on trumpets Albert Snare, who was the lead trumpet player for the band, Sylvester Lewis, who played the solos that were more Louis Armstrong-like, open solos, a little more grandstandy, um, dramatic-sounding, and Ovi Alston, who played some of the muted trumpet solos, although they may have switched back and forth. Ovi Alston is also very well featured as a vocalist. We uh, featured his band, which featured some of the members of the Hopkins band, including Claude Hopkins, on a podcast a while back. In trombone, we have Fred Norman, who was also responsible for several of the arrangements. He was an entertainer as well. He did several recordings recreating uh, the Burt Williams uh, monologues from the early uh, African-American musical theater and some of the great recordings from the 1910s, and several of them are on these transcriptions, although we're not going to hear them today. With Fred Norman is Henry Wells, who was the brother of the more famous Dickie Wells, a trombone player. But Henry Wells had been with uh, the Hopkins band earlier and had gone over to Lunsford's band, where he was pretty well featured. Uh, he sang and played trombone, and he is back with the Hopkins band here. In the saxophone section, we have Gene Johnson on alto sax playing several solos. He was a remarkably good and practically unknown saxophone soloist today. Very modern sounding for 1935, which is when these transcriptions were done. We also have playing lead alto, kind of a pinch hitter, although he had been in this band for a little while, Hilton Jefferson, who uh, seemed to play with every Harlem uh, black band in the 1930s. He was a, an outstanding lead alto player, but a very good soloist as well. We have a podcast out of his playing. Uh, two from the 1940s, but this uh, will show his lead playing and one feature number that he has as well. On alto and baritone sax and clarinet, we have Edmund Hall. Uh, he has not featured terribly well. Apparently, from the notes of the CD, he and uh, Claude Hopkins were not uh, best of friends at this point, and uh, Hall left the band shortly thereafter to go with Frankie Newton's band. But he is featured on clarinet on one or two solos, and we can hear his baritone playing in the ensemble. Most of the clarinet solos are by Gene Johnson, who was a good performer on that instrument as well. On tenor sax is someone not well-known at all, Bobby Sands, who was really a uh, kind of an... Uh, I won't say an imitator, but emulator of Coleman Hawkins at this period. A very, very good tenor sax player whose playing never developed really beyond this style, although within this style he played very well. And the rhythm section that I mentioned earlier that was uh, really an outstanding dance band rhythm section were, of course, Claude Hopkins on piano playing stride piano, Walter Jones on guitar, Henry Turner on bass, and Pete Jacobs on drums. And uh, as I said, we'll hear some vocals by Ovi Alston as we go along here. Uh, we're going to start out with a tune uh, called Swingin' and Jivin'. Swingin' and Jivin' by Claude Hawkins and Fred Norman. This was, in fact, arranged by Jimmy Mundy. Jimmy Mundy was a, an outstanding black arranger who was playing uh, and arranging chiefly for uh, the Earl Hines Band in the mid-30s, but he came from, or passed through the Washington, D.C. area and Baltimore area, and actually uh, contributed a few arrangements to the Hopkins Band Book in the early 30s that were still in it, and this is one of them. After Swingin' and Jivin', we're going to go to the old standard, the Farewell Blues, which was arranged by a uh, studio, a white studio arranger named Phil Lang, an interesting arrangement of this old uh, jazz tune. Then we're going to go to the Washington Squabble, another Claude Hopkins tune. Following that up with a Claude Hopkins uh, feature on Singing in the Rain from 
uh, one of the first musicals, uh, sound musicals from Hollywood uh, in 1929. And then we're going to end up that set with a song called Chasing the Blues Away, which was, I think, also called Sweet Horn, uh, was an alternate title for that. And uh, Ovi Alston will sing on that uh, as we will hear. And that's another Claude Hopkins tune. So those five tunes will start us out uh, on our Claude Hopkins journey. Swinging and Jiving, The Farewell Blues, Washington Squabble, Singing in the Rain, and Chasing the Blues Away.
Blue, 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 blues away. It's a mellow horn, kind of smooth horn. I hear your sweet tunes all day. 
Soft lights and cocktails for me When you hear that horn You'll sure agree it's a sweet horn It's a mellow horn Chasing my blip 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 blues away da ra ra da 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 Chasing my blues away Sweet tunes all day, soft lights and cocktails for me. When you hear that horn, you'll sure agree it's a sweet horn, soft horn, chasing my blues away. have Claude Hopkins and his orchestra from the fall of 1935. This was probably done in at least two, if not more, sessions. There are uh, 25 tracks on the CD that uh, was taken from these transcription sessions, and uh, presumably it was several different sessions. So we started out with Swingin' and Jivin', the Jimmy Mundy arrangement of uh, the Claude Hopkins and Fred Norman tune, and uh, this featured many of the soloists. We heard uh, Sylvester Lewis on a nice flashy trumpet solo, which contrasted nicely with the laid-back dynamics and uh, sort of the relaxed rhythm of the band. We also heard Henry Wells on trombone and Bobby Sands on tenor sax. Sands is probably the most featured member of this band. He really was a fine tenor sax player in the uh, Coleman Hawkins tradition from that period. Of course, by 1935, Coleman Hawkins didn't sound like that. He sounded different. He never stood still. Then we went to the Farewell Blues, that Phil Lang arrangement. Kind of an unusual arrangement. Some different effects in there. Featured uh, some different solos. We heard Ovi Alston, I believe, on muted trumpet in there. The leader, Claude Hopkins, uh, on a characteristic stride piano solo. Another Bobby Sands uh, event there. And then a clarinet solo, I believe, by Edmund Hall. Although uh, Gene Johnson sometimes could sound like Edmund Hall, but I think that was Hall himself, of course. The New Orleans clarinet player who uh, had was going on to much greater fame playing with Louis Armstrong and the Eddie Condon bands and under his own name as well. 
Then we heard another Claude Hopkins tune featuring the leader on Washington Squabble, and that also featured Ovi Alston on a very relaxed uh, muted trumpet solo. Many of these tunes are, are really based on riffs. They're, they're, they don't have a lot of distinct characteristics, especially Claude Hopkins' own tunes. They grew out of his piano playing, I think. Uh, the uh, book The Swing Era by Gunther Schuller. Gunther Schuller was very dismissive of the Hopkins band in a lot of ways. He said the tunes all sounded the same, and Hopkins was a, 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 an anachronism in the, his own band playing stride piano. I'm not sure I'd agree, uh, but uh, he certainly had more of a feel for the older style of jazz. And indeed, in his, in, I guess you'd have to say, the second half of his career from about 1940, when his band, uh, his big band sort of petered out, until he died in 1984, he was uh, a very well thought of piano soloist, stride piano aficionado, and Dixieland pianist. He played in many traditional jazz groups, and uh, his recordings are, are, are quite uh, easy to find from that whole period. Then we heard him playing kind of a flashy, almost a, a, an early jazz or even a pre-jazz so, uh, style of solo on the 1929 tune Singing in the Rain. This is very much like the uh, show pieces that he also used with his band uh, on some of the uh, commercial recordings and also uh, other transcriptions of things like the ragtime-ish tune Canadian Capers and Nola Novelty Piano, they used to call it. And this had some of the flavor of that, but very well done. We also heard Gene Johnson on clarinet and alto on this one and Bobby Sands on tenor sax. We then finished up with Chasing the Blues Away, which was one of the neater tunes that this band played, I think. Uh, another Claude Hopkins tune. This featured Ovi Alston singing. As I said, it was called Sweet Horn. You can hear that in the lyrics. And he also played some trumpet as well. We heard Gene Johnson on alto sax and Edmund Hall on clarinet. Henry Wells again on trombone and Bobby Sands on tenor sax. So featuring all of these soloists, the band uh, really uh, obviously played to the dancers and uh, it had a very relaxed kind of understated quality that doesn't always come across terrifically well on recordings. It's not a very in-your-face band. We'll hear one of those coming up in the next set. But we have two more Claude Hopkins tunes I wanted to play. The first one is a feature for Hilton Jefferson, that great lead alto player. I'm not sure he's present on all of these recordings. I'm not even sure he was a full-time member of the Hopkins band at the time. He had played with Fletcher Henderson's uh, band until the fall of 1934 when the band broke up, and he went uh, with several other groups. He probably did play with Hopkins for a while. Uh, by the fall of 1935, I'm not sure he was uh, playing with them full-time, but he at least came in to play uh, this recording date and was featured on a new tune from 1935 called Just As Long As The World Goes Round and Around, and a beautiful performance. He was a wonderful ballad player, had a very sophisticated harmonic sense. Uh, when he went with the uh, Cab Calloway band a few years later, uh, he was uh, modern enough to impress uh, some younger musicians like Milt Henton and even uh, Dizzy Gillespie at the time. And then we're going to finish up our Claude Hopkins portion of the program with a very early jazz tune from about 1922 called That's a Plenty, an interesting arrangement which will also feature, Col uh, <laughs> feature Edmund Hall on clarinet as well as some of the other soloists. Following that, we're going to go to a different band. We're going to go to Chick Webb and his orchestra. And Chick Webb was a drummer who was uh, physically handicapped. He was actually a hunchback and a... And, uh, 
a victim of dwarfism. He had a lot of physical ailments, including tuberculosis of the spine, which eventually killed him uh, in his late 30s, I think. He had been leading bands in Harlem since the middle 1920s. He was considered a first-class drummer. And uh, his band that started playing at the Savoy Ballroom in the late 1920s became one of the most popular Harlem bands uh, of all time for the dancers, for the uh, swingers, for the jazz uh, aficionados. They really pleased everyone in that sense. And uh, he had a remarkably stable personnel beginning in about 1934-35 when he started recording for Columbia and then uh, recorded for Decca after that and uh, made some outstanding instrumentals uh, up to about 1935 and continued to make them after. But following uh, after 1935, his recordings were dominated by his singer, Ella Fitzgerald. And Ella Fitzgerald was really the commercial uh driver of this band. The band became much more popular than most African-American bands at the time. They were in uh, a slightly later term, a crossover act, and Ella Fitzgerald was largely responsible for that. We're going to hear some transcription recordings made in 1936. This was early on in Ella's tenure. She recorded three or four vocals uh, for the for this particular uh, date. I think I'm only going to use one of them. These were done actually for world transcriptions, uh, I should say. I don't know what the Hopkins transcription company was, but this uh, was definitely done for world. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that when we come back. I'll tell you about the personnel on here as well a little bit later, but we're going to start after those two Claude Hopkins tunes with a uh, Horace Henderson tune the Fletcher Henderson or Horace Henderson arrangement of Big John Special, followed by a classic uh, Chick Webb tune by Edgar Sampson uh, called Stompin' at the Savoy. And then we're going to play Keepin' Out of Mischief Now, which is an unusual arrangement that features quite a few solos. And we'll talk about those when we get there. So, five tunes in this set for Claude Hopkins, just as long as the world goes around and round. That's a plenty. And then over to Chick Webb for Big John Special, Stompin' at the Savoy, and Keepin' Out of Mischief Now. Thank you. 
there we have a battle of the Harlem bands. We started out with Claude Hopkins and his group, uh, who was currently playing, or at the time, playing at the Cotton Club in that fall of 1935. And we started out with that beautiful feature for Hilton Jefferson, uh, just as long as the world goes around and around. Jefferson had, in fact, joined uh, the Hopkins band in the late fall of 1934 after the Henderson band broke up and stayed with him for a while. I don't know if he was with him full-time for that whole year or not, but uh, he certainly sounded beautiful on that tune. That probably must have been a feature of his on a regular basis. So in addition, uh, well, mainly him on that, and then we finished up with That's a Plenty, kind of a loose arrangement that I suspect would have been extended on the job with longer solos. We started out with a clarinet solo by Gene Johnson, followed by a nice open trumpet solo by... Uh, Sylvester Lewis. We heard some piano by the boss in there, uh, Claude Hopkins. And then we heard a second clarinet solo by Edmund Hall at the end of the recording. So two different clarinet players on that one. So then we went to the Chick Webb Band, and this was done in February of 1936. So only three or four months uh, separate these sessions, the Claude Hopkins Band and the Chick Webb Band. They were playing concurrently in Harlem, uh, relatively near to each other. The Webb Band, of course, was playing at the Savoy. And uh, this is a pretty good uh, picture of, I think, what the Webb Band must have sounded like in person. Bands tended to play a little more uh, unselfconsciously in the uh, transcription studios. They thought and realized or thought that they weren't going to be released uh, other than just on radio shows, so they probably weren't too worried about uh, the precision that they might have been in the recording studio. So they tended to have a little more energetic playing. The band that Chick Webb had in the studio at uh, this date in February of 1936 was his regular band at the time, with one difference. We'll start with the rhythm section. Chick Webb, of course, on drums. Del Thomas played bass. John Trueheart on guitar. Trueheart and Chick Webb, I guess, were uh, boyhood chums back in, I think they grew up in Baltimore, but uh, Trueheart stayed with the band pretty much up until Chick died in 1939, and then afterwards he stuck around uh, when Ella Fitzgerald led the band for a couple of years as well. On piano on this session, we have Joe Steele. He had led a band in Harlem in the 1920s and had made some really uh, good, hot jazz recordings of the 1920s, but he spent some time in the rhythm section with Chick Webb's band. He was replaced by Tommy Fulford not too long after this. In the saxophone section, we had Edgar Sampson playing lead alto and doing all the alto solos, and some very nice ones, too. He was an underrated soloist, but he was better known as a composer and arranger. On second alto and playing the clarinet solos was Pete Clark. He got a couple of chances in the tunes we just heard. On tenor saxophone, we have Wayman Carver, who played uh, flute as well. He didn't solo on either on these recordings or on this transcription date. Um, there's a baritone sax being played occasionally, including on the last note of the last tune we heard. It might have been Wayman Carver or Pete Clark. Not sure which one. And then the tenor solos are done by Teddy McRae. We had Bobby Sands with the Claude Hopkins Band, a very underrated uh, tenor soloist from the day, and Teddy McRae was the same. He was a very, very good soloist, probably a little more progressive in scope than Bobby Sands, and he stayed with the Webb Band uh, again through Trick uh, Webb's death and into the Ella Fitzgerald years. He ended up leading the band, or music directing the band for a while after that, and then he played uh, rhythm and blues recordings in the 19, late 40s and 50s. On trombone, we had Nat Story and Sandy Williams. Sandy Williams took the solos. He was possibly the best soloist in the band. He was a really uh, first-rate trombone soloist whose career unfortunately got derailed by alcoholism after uh, the Chick Webb years. He didn't uh, do anywhere near as much uh, after the swing era. He came back to the studio from time to time, but he had uh, jobs outside of music for a while. He 
cleaned up his act and actually, I think, did begin recording again in the 1960s, but passed away not too long after that. In the trumpet section, we have on lead trumpet Mario Bauza from Cuba. He uh, was a, an outstanding musician. Uh, he had started playing clarinet. I think he played clarinet in... in um uh, the National Symphony down there, and uh, when he came uh, to America playing in Latin bands, he switched to trumpet because he realized there were uh, fewer fine lead trumpet players than clarinet players, so he ended up playing lead trumpet with uh, Chick Webb's band and then going to Cab Calloway's band. He was also a, a very important musician in introducing Latin styles of music, Cuban and Puerto Rican, uh, and some of the, the rhythms that went along with that, to American black jazz musicians, particularly people like Dizzy Gillespie, who uh, ran with it thereafter. Uh, Bobby Stark probably plays most of the trumpet solos. He had been active since the late 1920s and played with the Fletcher Henderson Band and some other groups, a very fiery, sometimes kind of... Uh, uh, undisciplined trumpet soloist did some nice work on these sessions, and then Wallace Jones, who may play, have played some of the solos too. Missing is Taft Jordan, who was one of the best known uh, Chick Webb sidemen at the time. He was a, a Louis Armstrong style trumpet soloist. He had come from Philadelphia, played with the Washboard Rhythm Kings, and joined the Webb Band 1934. Apparently, uh, at this point, he had a uh, fight with Chick Webb and left the band. He was playing with Willie Bryant for a while, uh, but he came back to the band shortly thereafter. If he had been with his uh, been uh, during this session, I think he would have taken some characteristic solos and probably sung one as well. He was a, a very uh, good showman in addition to being a fine player. So we started out our Chick Webb uh, tribute there with Big John Special. As I said, that was a Horace Henderson tune that uh, he uh, probably arranged for uh, his brother's band, the Fletcher Henderson Band, in 1934. Of course, it was recorded by Benny Goodman. Basically the same arrangement for all of these bands. In fact, the soloist, uh, trumpet soloist on this, I believe was Wallace Jones, and he quoted from the Henderson recording uh, in the introduction to his solo. Big John, by the way, was a, a, a I believe a a barman or a, or a bouncer at one of the Harlem clubs, and that song uh, was dedicated to him. Following Big John's special, uh, which also featured a little bit of alto sax by Edgar Sampson and an excellent piano solo by Joe Steele, we went to Stompin' at the Savoy, which was an Edgar Sampson tune written for the Chick Webb Band and recorded a couple of times in the studio, as well as some live versions. That was kind of their theme song. And that featured Bobby Stark uh, on trumpet, definitely Bobby Stark, along with Sandy Williams doing a really stomping trombone solo, uh, Edgar Sampson again on alto, and a little bit of Teddy McRae on tenor sax. Uh, I think that was one of their introductory themes, their their real theme, uh, which was their closing theme, was Let's Get Together, which unfortunately is not on these transcriptions. Then we finished up with a kind of a loose arrangement of Keeping Out of Mischief Now, and this was uh, a tune that, uh, of course, was written by Fats Waller and Andy Razif. Uh, no vocal on this one, but features some very good solos, including a, a, an uncharacteristically uh, experimental solo, I guess, by Edgar Sampson on alto, especially at the beginning, showing some very fleet technique. Then we heard uh, Pete Clark on clarinet, having a longer solo than usual on these recordings. Um, Wallace Jones, I believe, was the trumpet soloist on this as well. Mario Bowser did not really solo in a jazz sense. He was a lead player, so if it wasn't Bobby Stark, I think it must have been Wallace Jones, and it didn't sound terribly like Bobby Stark. And then a little more for Teddy McRae on tenor. And we're going to hear a little bit more of the tenor sax uh, coming up in the next and last set. So Chick Webb's band at this point uh, was beginning to achieve a degree 
of commercial success because of its singer, Ella Fitzgerald. And Ella was uh, a minor at the time she was signed on to the Chick Webb Band. And, and Webb and his wife, apparently, the sources say that they adopted her, but I don't think they formally adopted her. They, they basically became her guardians on the road, I guess, so they could sign documents or whatever one had to do in that case. And uh, Ella started making recordings right off the bat and uh, became a very popular uh, member of the band, both in person and on records. She sang three or four tunes on this transcription set. I'm only going to play one. Um, a couple of them are, are, are kind of throwaways, but this one is an interesting tune by Harry Ravel and Mac Gordon uh, from 1936. It was a new tune at the time, and it's called You Hit the Spot. And there are many other recordings of this from this period. A lot of different bands covered this tune. They obviously had a good press agent for Gordon and Ravel and their publishing company, because they got this recorded many times. And this has a, a really fine Ella uh, vocal, as we will hear. Then we will hear another Edgar Sampson tune, this time uh, composed apparently with Benny Goodman, as was the last one, um, uh, Sampson at the Savoy, uh, although Goodman probably just got his name on it from having been a band leader. And this is called Don't Be That Way. And Goodman was better known for this tune than Webb was, although Webb had the first recording of it. Following that, we're going to do an Edgar Sampson classic called If Dreams Come True. Benny Goodman got his name on this one, too. And this has a vocal by uh, the male singer of the Chick Webb Band, a man named Charles Linton, who sang with a very high tenor. He lived a very long life. I got to hear him sing in the late 1990s at the Essex Jazz Festival, the Hot Steam Jazz Festival. He came up and fronted a uh, big band for a couple of years there. He wore a turban, I remember, and he still had a beautiful high tenor, a uh, very controlled voice. And uh, he... Uh, uh, in later years, interviewed, said he was one of the people who brought Ella Fitzgerald to Chick Webb's attention. So, do with that as you will, if dreams come true. Then we're going to hear the Nitwit Serenade, which was uh, a tune by Will Hudson, who was a white band leader and composer, composed a lot of what they called flag wavers or killer dillers, uh, fast tunes to show off a band's prowess and get the dancers out on the floor. And Chick Webb has co-composer credit on this. It's a bluesy tune, has a lot of good uh, trombone playing by Sandy Williams, as we'll hear. Then we're going to finish up with probably the greatest anthem of the swing era, Jelly Roll Morton's King Porter Stomp, which uh, was probably goes back to the 1910s. But in this arrangement, which is essentially a takeoff on the Fletcher Henderson arrangement from 1932, uh, that recording, we will hear uh, many of the soloists and uh, a familiar uh, arrangement to those of us who know the Benny Goodman chart. Although uh, this particular arrangement includes the second strain, which the Goodman and later Henderson versions did not. So those are our tunes coming up. You hit the spot. Don't be that way. If dreams come true, Nitwit Serenade and King Porter Stomp.
breeze on a night in May You hit the spot Like a cool mint julep on a summery day You hit a new high in my estimation I had to fall Cause you've got so much on the ball Oh, you hit the spot Like the first embrace when the night is done
There you have some very fine big band jazz from 1936, February 1936. The Chick Webb Orchestra, uh, fresh from uh, the Savoy Ballroom in the uh, World Transcription Studios and doing quite a collection of different uh, tunes that uh, they were known for and some that they probably weren't. We started out with You Hit the Spot, that uh, interesting uh, Gordon Ravel tune that uh, Ella Fitzgerald sang, so a good feature for Ella on that one. Followed it up with some swing classics, Don't Be That Way, featuring Bobby Stark, Sandy Williams, and the boss, Chick Webb, on drums. Uh, unusual to have uh, a drum feature in, in bands at this time, but Chick Webb certainly had uh, a few going, and that was a, a good good solo incorporated right into the arrangement. Then we heard If Dreams Come True, featuring the composer, Edgar Sampson, along with Sandy Williams again. Williams really uh, proves his mettle on this set. He was just an outstanding trombone soloist. Uh, Joe Steele on piano, and Charles Linton singing the lyrics. Then the Nitwit Serenade, again, some fine Stan Sandy Williams with... Uh, uh, Teddy McRae on tenor sax, and Bobby Stark again on trumpet. Stark starts out King Porter Stop, which is our last tune, and we hear uh, some soloists coming and going. We hear two different spots for Barbie, Bobby Stark, two different spots on tenor for Teddy McRae, two different ones for Sandy Williams, who really takes the honors on this tune, and Edgar Sampson on alto. And this was a band that... Uh, uh, was called a stomping band. They could uh, stretch the tunes out for, for minute on minute, sometimes 10, 15 minutes if the dancers were really into it. And they beat a lot of other bands in the famous battles of the bands at the Savoy Ballroom. They beat uh, Benny Goodman. They beat uh, quite a few other groups. The only one that uh, they couldn't beat, as it was said, was Duke Ellington's band because they just had too much going for it. So this has been our tribute to uh, two different Harlem bands recording for various transcription services in 1935 and 6. We heard the Chick Webb Band from 1936 and the Claude Hopkins Band from 1935. Two very contemporary groups and uh, playing very different styles of swing. So we hope you've enjoyed this program. This has been the Jazz Focus. Again, if you'd like to sponsor us, please hit the sponsorship button somewhere on your, uh, on your dial, on your keyboard on your your browser wherever you happen to be listening not if you're driving wait till you get to a safe place but we'd love to add some members to the family so again john clark and the jazz focus and i'll see you on the other side